For those of you that don't know me, I'm Carrie Dermody. Um, I am married to Brian. He's the big bald pastor. And usually people are like, oh, yeah, when I say that. Um, we've been married for just over, a little over five years. And we have three kids. Abigail is almost four. Titus is almost two. And Tally is two months old. So um, I get to stay home with them, which is awesome most of the time. A little overwhelming some of the time. But, um, yeah, I was trying to think of ways to introduce myself. Um, I think of myself as just a pretty plain Jane, just your average girl. Not in to say that that is bad. It's just I think I'm pretty average at everything. We did a pickup game of knockout, and I held my own, but I didn't win. You know, like, <laughs> I'm okay athletically. I'm below average musically, but um, <laughs> everything else I feel like, yeah, I'm okay. So... <laughs> Um, yeah, I thought of Cambria, she does, she's a photographer, and she does um, Friday introductions on Instagram, and I love them, and she's always so creative, and so I thought, okay, channel your inner Cambria and think of something so cool, and th- that's what I came up with, with what I was finding. Um, right now, I love watching the Olympics, um, so what happens is we put the kids down, We've let them stay up a couple of nights, and then I fall asleep watching the Olympics, and then I wake up during the like local news, and I'm like, ah, I missed it. I missed the good stuff. But I'll blame that on having a two-month-old and not sleeping through the night and whatever. Um, I also am contemplating chopping my hair off. Those are the two things that I could think of. So if you have any fun hairstyles, then I'm up for it. Um, yeah, I'll say it every time I teach or every time I'm up here. Um, we have it so good in women's ministry. I'm sure you guys all know that, but to stand under Rebecca and her teaching and her leadership is truly a gift. Every time I prepare something, um, I always want to say that because as I prepare, I'm like, she is so good. I'm so thankful. And I end up praising God for her every time. So I hope you guys do too. Often we don't really know how good we have until it's gone. Hopefully that doesn't happen, but we should know how good we have while we have it. (laughs) So is I guess what I'm going to say. So I have been praying over the last couple weeks as I've been preparing just that I would say exactly what the Lord wants me to and that it would just draw all of us closer to Jesus, that we would love him more and worship him more and enjoy just being part of the body of Christ even more. So um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll jump into Nehemiah 3 and 4. God, thanks for this morning. Thanks for Rebecca's reminder of just the the rain and just refreshing and just um, just kind of a, a rebirth, I guess, um, reminder. And um, thankful that we get to start our Tuesdays together and um, just open your word. And no matter how hectic our mornings have been, God, would you quiet our hearts and um, just give us an attentiveness to receive whatever it is that you have for us. Um, I pray that you would just be my words, um, help me to say exactly what you want me to say, and anything that comes out of my mouth that is not something that you want, I pray that it would just fall beside um, all the ears and that you would just help us to pick up the truths and the promises and just your character even more so that we would leave this place changed, that we would leave this place um, more in love with you and just more appreciative of your word um, and the body of Christ. Amen.
So um, I, over Christmas break, I think Rebecca posted something about, oh, if you need something to read, read Ezra and Nehemiah because that's what we're going to be studying. And so I, of course, needed something to read because I'm not a very disciplined person, even though she called us out on that. She really <laughs> called me out um, last week. Um, I wasn't reading anything at that time, so I thought, perfect, I'll read it. And then, so I read through and get to Nehemiah 3, and it's the lists, right? And so, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm like, sweet, this won't take very long. <laughs> it's just a list, skim, 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 get on to chapter 4. And then Rebecca asked me to teach. I said, sure, what, yeah, if you need me to, yeah, great. Um, what, what do you want me to teach? And she said, Nehemiah 3 and 4. And I didn't, and so I opened it up, and I'm like, Oh, crap! What am I going to teach on this chapter? But, as with most things, if you dig a little deeper, you really find some sweet nuggets and sweet truths, and that's exactly what I found, um, which is really exciting, and just like God to do that kind of stuff, right? So, um, I wanted to review a few things from the last couple weeks, and remember, um, love how Rebecca always challenges us to keep things in context, so... Here's my attempt at helping us remember and keep the larger story at hand. Um, So Nehemiah was written chronologically toward the end of the Old Testament. Um, And what I learned, I think I learned this from Timothy Keller. I don't ever come up with sweet nuggets by myself, so um, they're all from somebody or... um, yeah, that I've read or something. But I think this one was specifically from Tim, Timothy Keller. He said prior to this time, God had primarily used single people um, to work his, like grow his kingdom. So think Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Moses were the primary like characters in building God's kingdom. And this is kind of a, a shift in using God's people to to build the kingdom, and so, yes, Nehemiah was a focal point, but he really used his people to build build the wall and literally build his kingdom, and I thought, that was interesting. Again, I would have never come up that with that by myself, but I thought, that's cool, because then it, we go into the New Testament, the church is born, that's how we grow the kingdom now, is together as a body of Christ, and so um, a sweet little nugget that I that I learned. Um, remember, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king of Persia, and he heard of the ruin of Jerusalem and was ruined by it, right? He just heartbroken by it. So he prayed and prayed for four months, and God opened the door for him to talk with the king and queen about going back and rebuilding, and um, he prayed and had a plan. I think that's what I've really taken away from the first couple of weeks is that they really go hand in hand, and we'll see that continue in these next couple of chapters, too. So he took that trip over a thousand miles and came back to Jerusalem. He casted the vision to others. They were pumped. It seemed they were super excited to get on board. Um, and um, they faced their first opposition at the end of chapter two. You, you will see we are introduced, I guess, to Sanballat and Tobiah. And Nehemiah just kind of shuts them down um, in this one verse of chapter two, verse 20. And I thought it was similar um, to what Rebecca talked about, how. Um, In Nehemiah's prayers, he exalted God's character first, if you remember her talking about that. And it just seemed like that same way that he did that to kind of shut down that first opposition is just exalting God's character in that he is better than any opposition. And it seemed to work. I mean, they rallied and got to work on the 
on the wall. And so, um, yeah, as we enter into chapter three, why a wall? Um, it was kind of a question. That's not what we do. Obviously, we don't have walls around our cities and stuff. But what I learned was culturally um, that Jerusalem was a place a place for God's people. That was where um, he was. And Nehemiah knew that the Messiah was going to come through that group of people, right? And so God loves those people. He made a covenant with those people, and he promised to raise someone up to defeat Satan, sin, and death. And so I think he knew that. And um, so that's why that wall was so important. And living it at that time, that's just how, how it was culturally. That's how um, that group of people was protected. That's how God provided for that group of people. And so the wall was really important in order for God's kingdom to remain and not to be in exile anymore. Um, and so I just wanted to make sure that we knew um, it's different than today. Now we build God's kingdom by people that come to faith, right? Well, there they used that wall to just sustain and to protect and provide um, for God's people. So um, as I was studying through chapter 3, I counted 42 sections of rebuilding or repairing. I think the Bible study said 41. They're probably right, and I just really didn't, didn't count right. But when I read, I counted first, and I thought, oh, I wonder how many. And then I did the homework, and I was like, oh, man, I was wrong. Um, but um, what's interesting, as you read through this list, again, the repetitive word is next to this person, next to this person, who was next to this person, and this was the next section. And um, so, yeah, we there's people... Well, we don't know how many, but we can. it's safe to assume there's a lot of people that were rebuilding. And they were from all different types of places, different backgrounds. They played different roles. But Rebecca alluded to it earlier. They all got on the wall. They all, all, they all participated. So you had leaders and supervisors to people that re- were really unnamed, that we don't know. Um, we had named parts of the wall and unnamed parts of the wall. Um, there were ministry workers that they talked about, clergy people. There were people with regular jobs, the perfumers and different people that clearly were had normal jobs. Um, there were men and women. There were people from different towns and communities. Um, but it seems as we read through that that there was just a variety of people that God used, all different kinds of people, as he does today and it seemed like they worked hard I loved this really stood out to me Um, chapter 3 verse 20 it says um, next to him Baruch son of Zabai zealously repaired another section and I thought how cool to be him (laughs) he's in the Bible and it says that he worked zealously I know I assume I think it's safe to assume we would all love for that to be our life statement, that we worked zealously for the Lord. And, um, yeah, that just really stood out to me. Didn't catch that in my skimming first part, but when I really (laughs) dug in, then that stuff really comes out. And I was like, ah, that's cool. Um, It looked like there was one section that didn't work hard, if you look back. Um, uh, Back at verse 5, the Tekoite people, it says, um, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to work under their supervisors. So I was like, ooh. But I don't know if this is the same exact same people. In 27, it says next to them, the men of Tekoa repaired another section. So maybe they kind of got their act together and decided, hey, 
I'm going to repair another section. I don't know, but I thought that was interesting that their name was mentioned twice. So um, in my optimism, I think, yeah, they, they figured it out, and they got, they got going and had a good heart behind it, too. So, um, And I think the other big takeaway from this chapter is that they were unified, weren't they? I mean, you think of the organization that that took um, and just working toward a common goal, um, the unity that that must have taken, um, and really sweet to to see that un- that unity within the body of Christ, the body of the kingdom of God, um, working together. And some had huge roles, some had very minor roles, but every role was important. And um, yeah, I think. That made me question, gosh, am I okay with the role that God has me in right now? Are you okay with, with where God has you? And um, I thought back to, I played softball in college, a D3 school. I wasn't recruited to play, but it just fit, and the Lord was good to me. Um, and so I enter into my freshman year, um, and I am a utility player. Remember, pretty good at, I mean, can hold my own in different places. Proved to true when I was playing softball, too. I could kind of play every position decent. Um, well, our first baseman got hurt, so my freshman year I ended up playing first base. And it was awesome. Started um, most of the games and um, really fun. I get to the end of my season, and at the end of the season, you usually meet with your coaches and kind of talk about the off season and what you could work on and kind of projecting toward next season and what that could look like. And my coach sits down with me. We go through some stuff that I could be working on and – um, and it's clear that I don't have a starting position for the next year. And so, which makes sense, you know, our first baseman come back, plus you add a whole other group of recruits that come in. And um, so that got me, con- I was like, I don't want to go out. To go from a starting position to riding the pine does not sound <laughs> appealing to me. I did not want, I just thought, oh, how defeating. No, I don't want to do that. And so I talked to my parents, I talked to, um, a couple friends, and my parents were great. They helped me um, think through different things, and I ended up going out um, because I knew it was way more fun to be part of a team um, than it would be to not. And so I think that's in all of us, is that the Lord has put something in everyone to be part of something bigger than themselves, right? And so I think that's why I love sports. I love team sports is because it's so fun to be locked arms with somebody else toward a common goal, even if it's just a game that you're trying to win. Um, but that happened every year for me. I think the Lord, I'm just a slow learner. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, ev- truly, every single year I contemplated not going out because I didn't have that starting position like locked in. And so every year I ended up going out. And I think made me appreciate roles, like the people that were not playing and those that worked really hard, I saw that because that was me for part of the season and stuff. So I think it, um, God really used that in my life to appreciate um, just everybody's giftings. Not that I lived that out perfectly, but um, yeah, I think that's the challenge that we have as a group of women. Um, I see three challenges kind of from, from this passage, and it also reminded me of um, Philippians 2. So if you know Philippians 2, it starts out 
where Paul talks about just um, Christ's humility and how he um, humbled himself to be nothing to the point of obedience to death on the cross. And then he challenges us to um, think of others as better than ourselves and put others above us. And then after that, he says, um, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And I think um, in our culture, to uh, Christian culture especially, to work out our salvation seems like we're trying to earn something, but that's not what Paul's saying here. He's saying, get on the wall. Be part of what, of what you're doing, of what God is doing, what I'm doing. Um, play your role. And so... Um, Here's the three challenges that I kind of came up with is um, pray and ask God what your role is. If you don't know, if you're in a season of in-between roles maybe, or um, if you're like me, you just lose that vision sometimes. And so I think Nehemiah is a great example of somebody that prayed a ton and got that vision um, and knew his role because he got it from the Lord. And so... um, God is so good and gracious to allow us to be part of what he's doing. And so if we, I I really believe, um, because I've lived it, if we spend that quality time with the Lord and just let him give us that vision, um, he will. He's, He's just a good father to not leave anybody out. He wants to give everybody a role and wants to use the ways that he's uniquely gifted you to to join him in what he's doing. Um, again, I was challenged last week by Rebecca. I think I was even thinking these things as she was teaching um, about not being disciplined. And then she's like, I'm going to call your bluff. And I was like, oh. I, I like literally felt like a little twang in my, in my heart. Um, and so, and just spent last week praying. Um, and it's been so, it's been good. Um, my prayer time looks a little different with kid, with little people, but um, yeah, just to be, um, I guess, re-energized in my role as a mom to to know that these this is this is a sweet role for me right now, even though it may go unnoticed or um, yeah, mostly that it will go unnoticed. I think, <laughs> um, but not by the Lord, you know. And so I, it just made me. Um, feel like, yes, I can do, you know, and then I'm more patient with my kids, and I'm more loving, and because this is my role, and this is what I get to play, and how awesome, um, so do that um, if you're in that spot, spend this week, and spend time in prayer, and journal, or whatever fits best for you, um, yeah, and and ask him what your role is, and the ways that he's uniquely gifted you, and then the second challenge, I think, is to get on the wall and do it, (laughs) once we have the vision, sometimes it's hard to take that step of faith, and and start doing it, but work out your salvation, and fulfill the role that God has given you, Um, yeah, again, it must have been so cool to be part of building that wall, and when it was done, or even in the midst of it, just to think, this is something, this is big, like, this is a big deal, and I get to, I laid that rock down, you know, or whatever. And how fun to, to be part of something that important and that big. And that's what we're doing. That We are, in a sense, the same place. We're building God's kingdom. And um, how fun to be part of what God is doing. And so, um, 
And then I think the third challenge is to be encouraged by other people's roles and not threatened. Um, some of the easy questions you can ask yourself is, are you comparing yourself to others and wishing you had their role? Or are you thankful that you're not in their role? Um, I, I think that can be a huge problem or a huge temptation as a group of women is to just compare ourselves. And that just really steals our joy. And it ruins unity to, to do that. And so I think when we're comfortable with where God has us, it's so much easier to see other people and to be so pumped for them in their role. Um, and so that was just kind of the third challenge that, um, that I thought through. Um, yeah, and so as we finish that chapter, we see they're doing it. They're, they're next. They're linking arms, and they're building the wall, and it's awesome. And we enter into chapter 4, and we see opposition that comes. And we all know opposition. I think it's pretty safe to say that we've all faced some kind of opposition in our life. Um, maybe I start, looked back or just kind of thought back onto different oppositions that have come my way, and I thought of um, career choices that people, that I made that kind of people questioned, especially when I went from teaching to full-time ministry. There was a lot of people that didn't really understand that. Even my dad was like, are you sure you want to do that? And um, so that has been an opposition, feeling lonely um, or unmotivated by the season of life that I've been in. I've been in that kind of a season where that opposition comes and just that desire to just be lazy or just to sit in my loneliness um, has been a huge opposition before. Um, or in your work, maybe this is has happened to you too, you just wonder if you're having any kind of impact. You're just going through and you're doing your thing and you have no clue what is going on and if you're making any sort of um, impact for the kingdom. Um, maybe it's you're just exhausted. You're in a season of just being really tired and not feeling like you have anything to give. Um, most recently, <laughs> my opposition has been completely consumed by my circumstances. Brian got influenza B, and I freaked out. <laughs> I was a basket case. Um, I was so scared that my kids were going to get it. My mind went absolute worst-case scenario that everyone in our family was going to be hospitalized <laughs> and for who knows how long. And... Um, <coughs> I was like, see you, Brian, I'm going to my mom's. And that's exactly what I did <laughs> to the point where, um, <laughs> this is so bad. We went, it was, he started feeling bad on a Thursday night. Friday, we usually go to the store. And so I went to the store. I was like, do you want me to get you some chicken little soup? No, I'm okay. Well, I got one can and I ate it <laughs> that day. Cause you know, mentally I'm like, Ooh, maybe I'm not feeling so good. I'm going to have chicken noodle soup. And so then, um, he went to urgent care on Saturday Got tested, um, and by that time, I was like, I'm out of here. I'm taking the kids, and he was okay with that. I didn't, you know, I wasn't going to leave him if he didn't think that was the right thing to do. So I did, and halfway home, I kid you not, he said, did you by chance get any chicken noodle soup? And I was like, no. So I left him with nothing to eat except half of a sleeve of stale um, what are those things called? Saltine. Saltine crackers, yes. And like a third of a bottle of ibuprofen. And I was like, I'm out of here. Get my kids out of here. And I was like, thankfully, I have an awesome connection group. So I called someone and was like, will you go to the store for me and just drop them by our front door? And then a couple days later, somebody else went and got him more stuff. And so I was like, I'm a great wife. <laughs> and even while I was at home, you guys, I was 
my mom was like, Carrie, you are, this is not normally you. I don't normally struggle with worry or anxiety too much. Oh my gosh, I was overwhelmed. I texted Rebecca, I don't know, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm crazy. <laughs> and she was so good to share truth with me. My mom was so good. And I would, I would have those moments um, where I would fight for like just the Lord to, I'm sovereign, Carrie. If, if you get it, if the kids get it, I'm there. If, you know, I'm right here. And I would be like, yes, Lord, okay, thank you. And then not five minutes later, I would pick up the anxiety right back again. And I would, it was, it was a battle. It was a battle. Um, but we got through it. Um, yeah, and just remembering the Lord, which we'll get to, and seeing the ways that he fights for us in the midst of those really hard circumstances. Um, yeah, we'll see in this chapter. Um, I kind of categorized three different types of opposition um, that came their way and that come can come our way, and how to combat those that opposition. Um, and so we're going to pick it up in chapter four, verse two. Um, it's Sanballat and Tobiah are um, ridiculing the Jews in their work, and so it says. Um, he ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even If even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. So, um, obviously... Definitely being ridiculed. The first thing I thought when I read that was, that sounds a lot like the serpent in the garden. What did he do to Eve? He questioned her. He says, did God really say you shouldn't eat from that? And that's what I, that's exactly how I felt when I was reading these questions. They're, they are um, trying to instill insecurities in them. They're questioning what they're doing. Um, and how does Nehemiah combat that? With prayer. If we can read in verse 4 and 5, it says, um, Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Don't cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Which is kind of an intense prayer. <laughs> but he's really crying out for justice, right? Like this injustice that has come on them in the form of that ridicule. He's just asking God to to be just, and um, and that prayer seems to work. So they they give. It says so we rebuilt the wall, and it says that they worked with all their heart. And so, how, how to combat those um, times when we feel like insecure or we feel like we're being questioned? Pray and um, ask the Lord, and then I think He'll give you the the reassurance to work with all your heart. Um, and to rise above that opposition. So the next one is stronger. <laughs> this time it's not just Sanbal and Tobiah, but it's the Arabs, the Ammonites, the men of Ashdod. So imagine a multitude of people coming at you um, and sticking it to your weak spots because that's what they were really doing. They saw these exposed spots on the wall and that they were being covered up, that they were being filled in, and they became angry and they wanted to stir up trouble. If you look at 7 and 8, it says that these men heard that the repairs um, to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that, that the gaps were being closed and they were very angry. They plotted together to come 
and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. So how was that combated? It was combated with prayer and a guard. So referencing really what Rebecca was talking about, God's sovereignty in prayer and our action as people to to post a guard. And so sometimes that's what it takes. It takes... um, to combat the enemy is prayer and action. And so, um, yeah, they can really, really go hand in hand. And then finally is the big hit. At least I think so, because this is where I land most of the time. The biggest opposition that I can think and one of the hardest to overcome is ourselves. And so um, we read 10 and ten through 12. Um, it says, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is much rubble that we cannot rebuild There's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Um, Yeah, you have the actual opposition, and then you also have yourself. The work is hard. They're exhausted. Um, and you fear being attacked on top of that. And it, one of my struggles is um, comfort, and I love easy. And so I would have been, peace out, Brian. I'm out of here. <laughs> or I, would have, I certainly would have thought, oh, exile wasn't that bad. Maybe we should just go back and do that because I understood that life. This is really hard. Um, not only hard to face opposition, but it's also exhausting work. And... Um, you lose the vision once you are stifled by that opposition. You lose the vision that God has given you, and it's just easier to give up what you're, you know, with what you're facing. And so how is that combated? Nehemiah specifically stations people in specific areas, in those exposed places, with weapons. Um, again, God's sovereignty and our responsibility come, come together. Um, and I think even in part of it, they said, didn't they repair the wall with one hand and had their hand on a weapon with their other hand. And so I thought, man, that work must have really slowed down. Mm-hmm. And, and how cool that just because the work that God has given you, if it slows, doesn't mean it's wrong. I think that's where my mind automatically goes is, oh, some, I must be doing something wrong. Or I must have understood God wrong. But not here. And so that may not be the case for us, too. It's... <laughs> just that it just slows because you have to battle the enemy and battle that opposition. And um, But if we can keep that long-term vision in mind, then we'll be able to stand firm and let the Lord um, fight for us. And so um, look, listen to what Nehemiah says in 13 and 14. I love this, these two verses. It says, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall, at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Um, what a sweet kind of rallying speech, I guess. And just truth to be reminded um, in that very vulnerable time, I was guessing. I think um, God often calls us to remember. Maybe it's just me. But um, because I'm an in-the-moment person, I can't. I don't think about the past too much or the future too much. I, 
And so that's probably why Influenza B was so stifling for me because it was right here. Um, and I, so often that still small voice of the Lord calls me to remember. Remember the ways that he's worked in my life, the ways that he's fought for me, the ways that he's provided for me um, and for the people around me. And when I do that, then I'm overcome with more peace. Of, okay, yep, I remember the Lord's character. I remember who he is. Um, and how comforting that is. I've been known to um, write stuff down, like like literally write it down, different things that the Lord has done, so that when I am, I can't even think of that because I'm so stifled by my circumstance, I can just pull it out and actually just read it and preach it back to myself. Um, that's why our God stories are so awesome because... The opposition can't do anything with that. It's such a sweet thing to share your God story with yourself <laughs> um, and remember how the Lord has worked in your life. Um, and so, um, yeah, I think that that was awesome to have Nehemiah remind all the people of those those truths. And um, so what does that look like for us? Um, we aren't rebuilding a wall but we are expanding and rebuilding God's kingdom here. And um, it's with people that come to faith. And First Peter 2 tells us that we're like living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Ephesians 6 tells us to put on the armor of God, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, feet fitted with the gospel of peace, a shield of faith, a helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Why? Not because we're facing people at the wall, but because we our struggle is against is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world, the spiritual forces of evil. And so, um, while it's kind of hard to relate to them building an actual wall and having actual opposition come, I think we can all relate to just having that opposition um, and really visualizing putting on that armor and having your hand on the weapon which is the word of God and doing the work um I think is is huge and so so that's where we are where where do you stand today um what's the vision God has given you again do you know have you lost it again I think I think I lost mine a little bit um and so I've this has happened while I've been feeding Tally, usually in the middle of the night, where I just grab my phone and I've just started writing things out, you know, like, what is, what's my role, God? And that's the first role that he gave me was the, you are the mom and the wife of Brian and the mom of these three kids. And so what does that look like, specifically look like? For me, I need to turn off the social media and enter in and be present with my kids and enjoy them because this, I know it already goes fast. And so... Um, I've cried already that Abigail's going to go to preschool next year. I didn't think I'd be that mom. And I am. <laughs> um, and so just really entering into where God has us and, and loving that and appreciating that. Um, maybe for you, it's there's an injustice that you see that totally breaks your heart. Like Nehemiah's heart was broken when he heard of the wall and that God is giving you a special role to play in being part of that injustice. Maybe it's a conversation that you need to have at work with somebody or a Bible study that you need to start at work or with other moms. I, maybe it's um, getting involved with the church to a, a larger degree, the body of Christ. You see 
it, how awesome it is to be a part of that. And maybe, maybe your role is to step into that even a little bit further and um, join a connection group or serve in some way or I don't know um, what that could look like, but um, those are just the thoughts that kind of came into my mind. Maybe you're in a season of opposition. Can you name that opposition? Sometimes it's helpful to actually name it and combat that with prayer. And um, what do you need in order to fight it? Do you need to pray more? Do you need an action step that God has given you that you just need to to take the action? Do you need to take some time to remember and um, really reflect on how the Lord has worked in your life and to stand and let him fight for you? Um, and then just joining others so you're not alone. Opposition is so hard by yourself. Um, almost impossible, I would venture to say. And so, man, link arms with the body of Christ and let... That's how the body of Christ is supposed to function. And so um, don't feel like you have to do it alone. Join, hand, join arms and um, let other people help you in the opposition also. And so... Um, and, and lastly, here's what we know to be true, is that Jesus is the better Nehemiah. I think Rebecca talked about that last week, too. Uh, Nehemiah didn't rule from afar. He um, was in there with the people. He was in amongst the opposition. He probably faced more of it than, than anybody else. Um, and he was in it, just like Jesus came and left the Father and, and came down to enter all of that opposition to defeat all of it that comes our way, right? And so... Jesus is building his kingdom and using the believers to do that. And we get to be a part of that and what a privilege that is. And so we're going to break up into small groups and and talk more specifically about where we are in that and pray for each other. I mean, take time to pray for each other or just encourage each other and, um, yeah, just kind of dig in a little bit deeper and more um, individually, I guess, and... um, yeah, we can act and live out the body of Christ as a group of women. So let me pray for us, and then then we'll get to um, split up a little bit.